and welcome to the Vicar's Watch Dibley. The podcast where real priests talk about pop culture and what we've learnt about faith, life and the church. We watched Dibley and now we're watching everything else. I'm Kate. I'm Ross. And I'm Ruthie. And in this episode we're going to talk about Death in Paradise, which is a murder mystery show if you've never seen it before. We're going to talk about that and how that might relate to the season of Epiphany. Happy New Year. We're in our vicarages. You're listening in. We're ready and raring to talk about death in paradise. But first, we've got a few notices, which I think, um, Ruthie, you're going to lead us in. What do you have for us today? Well, Kate, I think we'll start off, actually, by passing to Ross. Because, Ross, you have a bit of an announcement, (gasps) don't you, that you can now tell everyone? I do, I do, I do. Well, I mean, for for a short time, my friends, we were three vicars who watched Dibley. Um, But, alas, I'm not going to be a vicar for for much longer, as it will have been (laughs) announced by now that I am to be the new missioner for young people at Salisbury Cathedral. Now, those are fancy words. What do they actually mean, Ross? (laughs) So, uh, in a nutshell, uh, it is a job for working for the cathedral, um, doing chaplaincy with the cathedral school and the students and families there, uh, and also looking at engagement uh, with uh, young people across the life of the cathedral. And it feels so like exciting. it's so exciting. Mm. I'm gutted to be leaving Reading and my parish here. Uh, they've been really good to me, but I am. This feels like a job, kind of right up my street, tailor made for me. And I, yeah. when I saw it, I couldn't not apply. So, yes, I'll be starting there uh, later on in the spring, probably. Well, Very yes, exciting. it is. I know. Mm. Yeah, dates are in and everything. So yeah, you're officially yeah. announced now, so you can tell all of us. Yes. Yes. Mm. Very exciting. So that's our first revelation. Yeah. We have another revelation. I have a story that I want to tell you too, mm. because as soon as it happened to me, I thought, this is perfect for the podcast. Mm. And this is one of the most Vicar and Dibley experiences I've had. The only way it could have been worse was if it was in my own parish. Okay. So I'd, I, like, I was going to put it on. Instagram and stuff like that and I thought I'm not going to do it yet because I want you to hear this live in person okay. and hear what happened to me yesterday so uh, yesterday I went to a spa with my mother-in-law and sister-in-law for my mother-in-law's birthday it was lovely I had a very nice time uh, so it was in like a hotel um, and yeah they had a spa as part of it and part of the deal is they didn't have robes like some spas will give you robes Um. Uh, they gave us towels, so we took our own ropes, and my lovely sister-in-law bought them, and we were limited on stock, and so I got one that, sh- shall we say, w- w- covered everything, but just is <laughs> <Okay>. how we're gonna <laughs> this. so it was quite a short hemline shall we say um and so we're all just having a nice time in the spa hanging out in our robes and all this stuff and as part of it because it was a package deal we had cream tea as part of it and then we heard a rumor that it could be upgraded to afternoon tea so i thought oh that sounds Ooh, great yeah. yeah so i volunteered and said i will go to reception in this hotel mm. and go and see about upgrading afternoon tea so I, I wandered along in my little slippers and <laughs> in my short dressing gown. And when I get to reception, I'm like, oh, that's quite a few people dressed in black. <laughs> I'm like, oh, there's about 20 people here. Oh, they all look like they've come from a funeral and are going to awake. Oh, <laughs> and I'm here no. in my swimming costume and little robe. <laughs> and I totter off to reception. I'm like, okay, I'll just. Oh, the lady's not here yet, so I'll just wait for a moment. And then she appeared, and then people from the funeral party had some questions to ask, and I was like, oh, please, yes, of course, go ahead. <laughs> and I'm stirred. The door's next to me, and my bottom is is almost on display to everyone, but not quite. And I'm not joking. About fifty more mourners came in. Whilst oh I was my stood goodness. <laughs> 
must have been bright red. And was like, uh, and she was like, oh, I'll just go check with Chef. Because I had to ask about some dietary requirements. So I've just stood there. And the mask, <laughs> as people are saying, you know, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. <laughs> and then I checked with reception and said, I, I noticed there's a wake here. It, where we have the afternoon tea, is it in a separate room to, to the rest of the mourners? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. You can come in your robes, don't worry about it. So I toddle off back to the spa, tell my mother-in-law and sister-in-law, ha-ha, this was hilarious, it wasn't this embarrassing. We come back for afternoon tea. Different room is an interesting interpretation. <laughs> there was like arches between <laughs> where we were eating and they were. So there's six of us in our robes, bright pink robes, they more modestly covered them with <laughs> Having scones while everyone was this week. And I thought, if this was in my parish, I would yeah. die. Like, can you imagine if it was like, oh, is that the vicar over? <laughs> 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 you know. But I thought, that's just such a great story. I'm yeah. Like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hey. I, I don't think no. I've ever seen you constricted to a tiny ball. That's <laughs> 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 a second-hand embarrassment. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> you just think, oh, please don't at the desk say, oh, yes. thank you, Reverend Gibbons. That's very kind of you yeah. to inquire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as, yeah. So, Although, um, uh, I'm going to offer you a little bit of comfort here. Um, okay. They, the, it was awful. When the family were booking the wake... Um, I imagine they knew that there was a spa. Yes. Uh, well, the which is part of, of the The rest of the mourners, I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> in that case, though, I think it's a family that matter most. So <laughs> I, I'm, sure the, I'm sure the family knew that there was a spa and that there may well be patrons of that spa yeah. present at but the venue. I did feel like I just dropped into an episode of Vicar and Dibley. Yeah, bless and you. Was <laughs> oh, bless you. and hilarious all at once. <laughs> oh, bless you. So, yes, let's move on from my shame (laughs) (laughs) to talk about Death in Paradise. Ross, why did you pick it? So, um, I love Death in Paradise. It's uh, it's been going since uh, something like 2011. Mm. Just to be um, clear, this is a TV show and not you just enjoy death. Just, ge- just generous. Or, or maybe, general. It's a, maybe it's a cocktail. Different paradise sounds like a cocktail. Sounds like a cocktail. Very good one. <laughs> so sex on the beach and then death in paradise. Good night out. <laughs> Why um, did you say that whilst I was drinking? <laughs> uh, well, so it is a TV show that has been on BBC since 2011. And uh, the premise of it is that there is a detective from uh, the wet and dreary United Kingdom who is sent to the fictional Caribbean island of San Marie to head up a team where they solve the murder mystery of the week kind of vibe. It's a classic Agatha Christie or uh, Midsummer Murders, but it's in the Caribbean. And they always play... um, They always release each new series in sort of the new year sort of time. I think we've got a new series coming out soon. And part of it is because during that miserable season in the UK, when it's you know, in January, February, where everyone's depressed <laughs> about the weather, we can instead have a lovely snapshot into the sunny <laughs> life of the Caribbean. <laughs> and it's a bit of a meme, isn't it, that the theme tune to Death in Paradise is really upbeat. It's sort of steel drum. They always bring it just after they've had that introduction reveal of the murder. So you have a really gruesome kind of shot and then... It's so fun. It's high camp. Now, in the team that you have, you've got this British detective. It's always a white male ex-sitcom actor. Um, or sketch show actor uh, who sort of is the front man of the show. Fish out of water sort of situation where a um, where a rather awkward British male yep. detective inspector is brought over to lead a team of local um, police. Thank you, okay. Caitlin. Now, the, the actors that we've had uh, in the role, we've had uh, Ben Miller, who is probably best known from Armstrong and Miller. Mm -hmm. He was the first one. He was very uptight by the book, 
uh, and, right. and hate, hated the sun and yeah. was constantly in search know. of a good cup of tea. Yes, always yeah, wearing yeah. a full Aren't suit. We all? <laughs> um, always wearing a full suit, even in the heat of the mm. Caribbean. Had a very um, shocking episode exit in the first episode yeah, of season his, three. Spoilers. His exit was a gag, <gasps> but uh, mm. series three, episode one, amazing. Mm, uh, he was replaced by Chris Marshall, who was uh, who is possibly best known as Nick from My Family, yeah. or possibly Colin oh, from Colin. Love Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he then comes in, and uh, I think he's probably. I mean, we were chatting about this at my church. Uh, he's probably most people's favorite. He's certainly my favorite. I think mm. of the of them. He's also now got a spinoff, um, uh, which is only I think aired for the first time last year called beyond paradise uh oh. anyways so after mm. after him we then had ardell o'hanlon mm-hmm. best known as father dougal from father ted or from my yeah. hero i can't remember what oh was. yes yeah. he was wasn't he yeah yeah or taskmaster or taskmaster <laughs> yeah taskmaster. more recently yeah. uh and then uh the current uh detective is played by ralph little who we best known to you from royal family or two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. Oh, is he in that as well? I've never seen I'm that. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that used to be something I watched a lot. I don't know. I don't know why I got away of watching it. Anyway, um, uh. my favourite, I think, is actually um, D.I. Jack Mooney, this this current one. Um, uh, Jack I li- Mooney I liked, is Ardle O'Hanlon. Yeah, yeah. I liked I liked yeah. Humphrey, mm-hmm. but um, I feel like Jack is the most... The others are very, very quirky. And kind of deliberately so, and ha- sure. very. Whereas I, I quite like that Jack. He's he's sort of. He's just a very good inspector. They well, they all bring their own little <laughs> foibles to them, you know. So yeah. Uh, so with Ben Miller, it's by the book. He mm. wants everything done properly. With Chris Marshall, yeah. absolute chaos. Can never find a pen or a piece yeah. of paper. <laughs> Lots yeah. of very sort of scrappy. Mm. Um, with uh with Arnold O'Hannon's character mm. uh there's there's a there's a gentleness and a kindness yeah. and there's also sort of kind of like like he makes bad dad jokes that's where yeah. a lot of his comedy comes from he's he's like mm, he's like yeah. your dad or your uncle yeah. uh and then with Ralph Little at the moment um uh he's allergic to every everything he's allergic to everything he's a bit of a hypochondriac and uh yeah. and, and yeah. yeah, and and the we'll talk about in a bit. There's a very particular structure to how the detective inspectors investigate and then reveal, and this was started because that's um, the very first DI we saw, Richard, played by played by Ben Miller. That was his his methodology. And one of my favourite parts of whenever they introduce a new inspector is them being told they have to do this, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> So, <laughs> so they they have properly set it up like an old Agatha Christie, mm. where at the end, uh, once the detective has solved the mystery, they gather all of the suspects together, and the the it is revealed who, how, and why the murder um, yeah. was committed. And and as I was, I've been binging it all all winter. Um, mm. I I stopped watching it for a bit for no rhyme or reason. I just took a break and then I binged it. And then I've been going back and watching all these other episodes and it's become real good comfort food. But the more I've watched it, the more I've realised it is actually perfect Christmas telly. Not because it's got anything to do with the birth of the baby Jesus, but because the whole season of Christmas is not just about looking to the birth of Jesus, but also about looking ahead to when Christ will come again, Mm -hmm. that time when we encounter Christ in the fullness of time. a time when truth and justice and true love of God will be known. And it got me thinking in terms of this death in paradise, that in each episode, you have something straight away that is presented as uh, violent and unjust and not good. Uh, But by the end of the episode, justice has been done. Mm. Uh, that which was hidden in darkness has come to light uh, mm. and to me that as well as cheering us up with sunny shores and blue skies mm. and the Caribbean Sea uh, when we're feeling dark and miserable here in England uh, actually there is something about the values of mm. of God 
uh, and the values of Christmas uh, in the grand scheme of things, rather than simply in simply uh, in the uh, the birth of Jesus, um, but in that fullness of time as well. So that's kind of what's been going through my head uh, in t- thinking about death in paradise as uh, a Christmas seasonal TV show. Yes. <laughs> How does that land with you? <laughs> I think that is going to be a really interesting discussion. I think it's a really clever thought, especially because, so unlike procedural crime dramas, for example, um, like Sign a Witness, or... Sign a Witness, or or any of those other. A Criminal Minds is one that I watch quite a lot of, and um, which are quite hard hitting, and they leave you unsettled at the end, even when the suspect is caught. But the suspect isn't always caught, and there's usually mm. those overarching season conflicts and narratives of someone in the background leading up to a greater. Um, some sort of greater conflict. Death in Paradise tends to be one episode arcs where there is a crime, it's investigated, and justice is is sought at yeah. the end. Um, yeah. And it's all in this setting of although it's a although it's a murder mystery drama, it's quite cozy. Yes, uh, and it's, a comfort, it's, it's, it's cozy a, crime. It's cozy crime, and there's a comfort that although death is in the title and it is about death. Death is not something to be a, necessarily that is going to scare us by watching it, which actually is also a very Christmas Easter mm. message as well about death yeah. isn't something to be scared of. Well, mm. how you die should be. But <laughs> I think all, all of this is making very clear that you two have watched a lot more Death in Paradise than I have. Uh-huh. Um, I have you assigned a special episode for us to watch. This is true, yes. As to um, Ross. Um, you assigned a special episode for us to watch Ross. Mm-hmm. I am familiar with this kind of setup of um of like murder mystery because I love Midsummer Murders and like Agatha Christie and all that kind of stuff. I love so the kind of yeah, getting everyone yeah. in the drawing room and telling everyone how it's been. I get that, but I haven't watched that much Death in Paradise. So there's bits of it that I found odd. Um because I'm unfamiliar with it. Um, so the kind of cosiness I found odd because I've not I've not experienced that mm. with those other kind of things. We watched episode eight of season six, which is called Murder in the Pulse um, and is about mayoral, mayoral elections. Um, and our current detective inspector is D.I. Jack Mooney, played by Ardell O'Hanlon. That's it. In so in this particular one, so like you said, that the, the kind of characters are standalone, but there's a character. Is her name Catherine? Yes. Who's standing yes. for election. Is she there for a longer period of time? Yes. Yeah, so she's a recurring she, character. She's the mother of right. um, the previous um, sar- detective sergeant, Camille. Um, right. But you okay. wouldn't know that if you're watching this out of context. But yeah. she she is one of the recurring characters. Um, she owns um, a bar, yeah. and at the end of uh, most episodes, the team end up having a drink at Catherine's bar, yeah. and then right, she okay. decides to run to be run for mayor. Um, and it is around yeah. the election of that where yeah. this impossible murder takes place. Right. And she, okay. Um, and so yeah. she is incriminated, but it yeah. can't possibly be her. Yeah, because but, we know her, and we know that she couldn't possibly be the murderer. Well, that's what I had as an yeah. issue with it, mm. as part yeah, of yeah. it, because there was one of it where. Um, uh, he was saying in the kind of interview stuff of like, oh, of course we don't think it's you, Father, because mm-hmm. there's a priest in this uh, as part of it. And, you know, of course we don't think it's you, Vicar. And, and he said that to Catherine as well. And I was like, is this like a technique he uses to get more truth out of people? Because this seems like really dodgy police practice, quite mm-hmm. frankly, if he's just going, oh, yeah, we know it's not Catherine. Of course it's uh-huh. not Catherine. Why are we even thinking of Catherine? <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. eh, do your job, mate. That's not <laughs> how we do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Okay, okay, yeah. that makes more sense. But yeah, you chose this episode because it's got a priest. There in is it. a yeah. vicar in it. Yeah, so there are a couple of different episodes um, throughout the uh, throughout all of throughout the lifetime of the show, um, where there are different religious groups uh, sort of uh, represented. 
and vicars make for good uh, characters in you know, they're good archetypes in murder mysteries mm. um and you know so there's an episode where there is a convent and you've got a catholic priest as a part of that oh. uh, you occasionally do have uh sort of pastors uh who mm. feel much more of the sort of more pentecostal uh tradition uh yeah, there's but... a faith healer type pastor in one of the episodes yes yeah yeah um because it's said the caribbean there's a you know you get out you get out step out of christianity into voodoo once or twice oh, great. um but this particular episode the vicar feels distinctly anglican mm, uh yeah. and he looks it yeah. <laughs> he looks it. Yeah. Okay, well, we can break I mean, that down, maybe. Um, draw an Anglican vicar, he looks it. <laughs> you couldn't look at him and think, he doesn't have the slickness of kind of a free church. He, he doesn't. <laughs> he, he doesn't he, you couldn't look at him and think he's Catholic because he's wearing a blue shirt when we first yeah, meet him. Yeah. And, and he's, he's got a wife. And he's married. Yeah. Yeah. And he has that um, sort of. There's archetypes of Anglican priests in media, and he feels one of them, which is that sort of yeah. ineffectual, naive, and oblivious sort of. Yeah. This is audio, so I can't pull the face of the. Mm, <laughs> there's a sort of. Um, you can imagine yeah. the face. Yeah. And I mean, massive spoiler for the episode, but it turns out his wife did it. Well, yeah. conspired to do it mm. with yeah. a woman who was his mother in law, but he didn't know it was a. It, the mother-in-law because she had yeah. the book saying that she was supposed to be an orphan and all this stuff i just thought i think you should know your wife a bit better well well but no but it was a it was a birth secret so she was legally an orphan because the mother was forced to give her yeah. up and she was in yeah. an orphanage so there was but he did the bumbling kind of yeah oh i had no idea my wife was capable of all this and da, 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 and yeah. know, just join some dots here mate even i worked out pretty yeah, soon he, that he, as he, soon he as was... that bloke said about uh uh there's a a, a love child somewhere i was like well mm. i bet it's the vicar's wife yeah <laughs> but maybe yeah. i've just watched too many of these no I mean, he, he felt he filled a certain archetype of what the anglican clergy are represented as um, perhaps yeah. another time we can For talk another, about how much truth we'll there is that. in these archetypes yeah and before we go any further we do just want to say i um, mean discussing um, particularly the Ang- Anglican Communion, so that's a Church of England overseas, and also Death in Paradise, where we have um, a British inspector who's um, transported into this setting in the Caribbean. Um, there are issues of colonialism, and there's a wider discussion to be had. We don't think we're the right people to have that discussion, um, but we will, if we can find some good resources, we'll try and share them with you um, in the episode description. Yeah, it was one of the things when I first watched it, I was like, why Why is the boss white and British? Like, mm. it was one of the things that immediately jarred with me. But as it's, sort of, it, it's sort of written out in the very first episode um, about uh, how the island of Samari um, was occupied or territorialized and handed between the Netherlands and France yeah, and okay. England and mm. so you've got so it, it's it's got this mixed match yeah. of uh, different mm-hmm. cultures uh, and yeah. even mm. its bureaucracy as well. The commissioner oh, yeah. on the island, uh, he is another recurring character. He's played by Don Warrington, yeah, um, uh, another yeah, ex sitcom yeah. actor. He was originally yeah. in uh, Rising Damp way back in the mm-hmm. um, that seventies, um, mm. Rising Damp. But uh, anyway, uh, and and he's he and Catherine are the two recurring characters from season one. Well, no, um, Catherine's French. Dwayne is recurring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Um, So it's it was a French territory at some point as well. Um, Dwayne is also a recurring character from season one. Yeah, he's yeah yeah, he's no longer in it. He was he he, he occasionally guest stars. Uh, He was back by played by uh, Danny John Jules, who you'll know from Red Dwarf. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what I would love to see in future seasons of Death in Paradise is for them maybe the DI is one of the sergeants who, who's promoted or, or comes yeah. back, and then actually yeah. the sergeant is someone from London. I think because they, they want to keep that fish out of water narrative. Yeah. Um, okay. But um, I I think it would be really interesting to see that because we've had um, what season are we on now? Like. 
I think we're going into 13 or something. 13. Um, wow. We've had that many Gosh. seasons where the inspector has been the fish out of water. I think it would be really interesting to see that inverted. Um, but anyway, um, we're not going to go much deeper into this, um, but know that we're aware of the wider conversations around um, the uh, the Church of England um, across the world, um, the Anglican Communion, yeah. but also Death and Paradise. Would you consider overseas ministry or have you had experience of ministry overseas at all yes yes <laughs> <laughs> we all have haven't we we all have i think i mean i know i have kate do you want to go first tell your stories um i um lived um in between my undergraduate and my master's i taught in a in a kindergarten in hong kong teaching english um which was a church school um oh, and that was um anglican communion but, uh, in in Hong Kong and Macau, that's that good province. How which long was, were you there for? That was one year. I I went back then. I uh, did a one month placement when I was training at the cathedral there at St John's Cathedral. Um, I crammed a lot into my time when I was in Hong Kong though, so it seems like a lot longer. <laughs> um, so I have some experience of um the uh, Anglican Church in Hong Kong and Macau. That's the um, province that which was at the time was a diocese um which first ordained a woman in, in the church of england um, florence lee Tamoy, um and um i enjoyed my time there um i think the only way i could make that work for myself was i made a point of learning um cantonese while i was out there teaching english because for me I, I wanted to it to be an exchange um, I did when I was looking at jobs. I did look at a chaplaincy over there and decided it wasn't for me. And I also did a placement when I was training in the diocese in Europe. So I did also consider some um, some some jobs out there as well. Where were you when you were in the diocese in Europe? Um, so we were we travelled around a bit. We were based in Belgium. Um, and we visited various churches across Belgium and we went to the Netherlands as well. We visited some very interesting projects in the red light district in Amsterdam. There is mm. a religious com- a, an Anglican religious community there, which was mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Mm. Well, there you go. Mm. And uh, Russ, you're yeah, a yeah. Kid, aren't I was you? Um, a, a missionary kid. Uh, my dad worked for a charity called Mission Aviation Fellowship. Uh, so we were based in Kenya uh, for three years when I was a teenager. And, uh, yeah, we attended sort of an Anglican church in Nairobi. Uh, and it was called Ch- it was known as Children's mm-hmm. Church. Uh, and uh, it was a really fun church to be a part of. Um, and my dad's an avionics engineer. So uh, so although we were there working for a mission agency, uh, it's not like being a clergy kid like you two are. Um, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it was fascinating. Really, really great yeah. time. Um, mm-hmm. I did also visit... Um, uh, our, you remember our friend Christelle from uh, Cranmer so yeah, she for a time yeah. was uh, based in the Diocese in Europe in uh, south of France and they invited they invited yeah, me out when I was a curate she... to do some storytelling there to the community mm. so that was fabulous oh, as well to sort of have an insight into what mm. that looks like and to hear about what ministry mm. can look like when your your communities are your Anglican communities are spread hundreds of miles mm. from each other um uh and yeah uh, really mm. interesting yeah, yeah. And what about you ruthie yeah so i lived in paris for two years in france uh for i was supposed to be three months there as an intern and i ended up staying uh two years uh, uh as part of church called st michael's uh, which is the diocese in europe um and yeah that was fantastic and eye-opening and you think like there's a there's the channel between England and France and you think that's not that big a cultural difference but there were massive sure. cultural differences mm. that I had to learn very quickly and going all right okay so it was an English-speaking church but there was also a French-speaking congregation and a, a large Tamil oh, wow. community as well mm. as well there and so there was all this different stuff going on and yeah brilliant absolutely loved it shaped so much of who I am now um 
yeah, deanery chapter, which is where like all the kind of vicars get together, mm-hmm. um, is uh, it's something that we do here. And you know, for me, sometimes it's a 30, 40 minute drive to chapter, yeah. and that feels like a long time. Whereas uh. when it was in France, it was like, yeah, you've got to take a plane to go to chapter <laughs> wow. for a meeting. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we've touched on this, and we decided we wanted to have a conversation about epiphany with relation yes. to death and paradise. So, Ross, what is epiphany in terms of it as a word, but then also in the church? So, uh, epiphany. Uh, as a word is to do it's it's uh to do with an unveiling um uh, it relates to uh revelation <laughs> i only laugh because i said unveiling and ruthie raised her eyebrows down the camera at me <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it, we're, we're, we're recording Slander. this quite quite late we on are, a saturday yes. evening <laughs> so we're just a bit more relaxed on epiphany it is well, epiphany happy epiphany on guys epiphany. um Sorry, so the epiphany, the word, the word epiphany uh, means un, uh, sort of a revealing, an unveiling. Um, it's related to the word revelation as well. Mm. Um, and in the church, it is remembered at this season, the 12th night of Christmas. And we hear the story of the Magi who uh, saw the star rise in the east, foretelling the birth of a new king. And so they follow the star, westward leading, uh, and it takes them to Still uh, where the baby is and where the baby has been born. Mm. Uh, and uh, they meet with Mary and Joseph and the infant child, Jesus, and they give treasure chests of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Uh, now, I've tried to be... I've tried to tell it as biblically accurate as I can because there's a lot of myth and legend around the story of the Epiphany. Mm. Um, So, for example, we don't know how many uh, magi there were. Uh, We often sing about, talk about three kings or three wise men, but actually, all we know is that these magi came with three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. and those gifts pertain to the uh, identity of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. Yeah, and in terms of chronology, it's whereas our nativity plays might have the Magi turning up very shortly after the shepherds, it's generally um, accepted or, or it's generally considered that the Magi came maybe even a couple of years later, and they discovered the family when they were in in hiding in Egypt. Um, so actually, when we talk about them finding the infant Jesus, actually, he could have been more of a toddler before his presentation at the temple. The thinking behind that uh, comes, from, so, uh, comes from the fact that this story of the Magi comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, uh, whilst the story of the Nativity is only in the Gospel of St. Luke. And that when Herod learns that um, uh, the wise, the, the Magi have betrayed him and not given him the location of this newborn king, he has every child under the age of two um, uh, killed. Um, mm. And so there is a thinking, therefore, that Jesus must have been yeah. somewhere under the age of two rather than just a newborn or under the age of one or whatever. Um, it's a lot of death in this episode. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, death in paradise, <laughs> death in holy lands, and it's also very current. Let's really, think about it? the word epiphany in how we might commonly use it in everyday language, and how we might encounter an epiphany in a murder mystery such as in Death in Paradise. I think when we think of epiphany outside of church, it's a sudden realization, a moment of sudden realization. It's your eureka moment of suddenly everything makes sense. We we have an epiphany moment in this episode, and I think in ev- nearly every Death in Paradise episode, there's a sudden moment where the detective inspector says something cryptic, because they've suddenly yeah. realised everything. Maybe we had a little bit of a flashback to a bit of evidence. They say something cryptic, cryptic to the detective, to the sergeant, and then they say, gather everyone together, but also you go and find X yeah, yeah. as well, because yeah. I need this piece of evidence. But they don't explain yeah. it at that point, and everyone else looks very confused and puzzled. 
imagine it's very frustrating to be have that as a boss and then just go, oh, I've got it. And then they don't say anything. And you'd just be like, this is so annoying. Well, yeah. You do this we, we every watch, time, man. We don't watch Death in Paradise for exemplary policing. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, because the police in that episode, they decide to bribe one of the suspects. I'm like, what is this show? Dodgy policing, where he has incriminating photos and says... You know, unless you do this, I'm giving them to the press. There's also a few instances in previous, in, in other episodes, where I do believe that there's bluffing involved in that final um, gathering together and revealing where there's maybe yeah. a piece of evidence they don't quite have, but they pretend they have, which is... Um... I mean, Poirot does that too. Yeah, but that's you know. but, but Poirot, well, that's Poirot is, is not yeah. a police constable or detective. He is an independent... Detective. Yeah, but true. broadly speaking, yeah. I mean, broadly, broadly speaking, speaking, they have beers at one of the suspects' places. I mean, it's not going to hold up in court, is it? But anyway, going back to Epiphany <laughs> Ross, get us well, back. Um, uh, I think in that moment of Epiphany, uh, in both Death in Paradise and also within uh, the church and the spiritual life, we see a number of things happen. Uh, we may have an epiphany in our spiritual life where we suddenly perhaps are overcome with realisation or awe of the love or existence of God. Uh, and and that realisation may draw us or drive us to share the good news which we have come to appreciate and understand at work in our own lives. And... Uh, and, and and that's and that happens within the church as a family, as an institution, uh, which is able to facilitate and help us as we you know, work out those ramifications for us. Um, I think you can say the same sort of thing happens when uh, the DI in Death in Paradise has their epiphany. Oh, this is how the murder mm. was solved. Let's get everyone together. Mm. I've got good news of justice um yeah. and comfort and we may not call it joy but it you know but uh, you know it's it's let's bring everyone together yeah. here's here is what happened and mm -hmm. here are the ramifications of that so mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah, yeah. it's a revelation yes. of the truth amen um, yeah. which, hallelujah um and particularly <laughs> which is particularly it's is is particularly satisfying when you've had a crime that has been deliberately set up to cause confusion um, and to hide and divert attention yeah. from justice. Um, I would argue that the particular setting we have in this episode of an impossible murder, but in a public setting where there's only a few people who could have done it, was not the most... Um, intelligent method um i i think um psychologically i think you could say they maybe wanted to be caught because there's only some a certain number of people who could have done it whereas if it, well, if it had been an impossible murder in his home or another location you they could it was deliberately they, they wanted it to seem like someone from the outside had come in to commit the murder yeah um but there was um Dwayne, yeah, yeah, yeah. police. Yeah, there was a police officer who was. Um, he was on duty yeah. outside, but they knew he was there. So at that point, if they were being clever, they should have decided not to go ahead with their plan and make a different plan. Um, and well, anyway, they did say it was hard to see this person, wasn't it? Which is why they decided to do it at the polling station. But he, and, and <laughs> let's not get into and analysing the, the methodology, but there is definitely something about it's satisfying to see the truth revealed, especially when the culprits, which we see particularly in this sort of Agatha Christie yeah. model, where it's supposed to be an impossible murder, um, yeah. where the culprit can't be found, and you, where it's really satisfying to then actually find out who did it, um, yeah. and for that truth to be known. Yeah. Um, I I, yeah. I I I do though want to talk about epiphany versus denouement. Oh, so, Ruthie, from your from your time again. in Paris, Ruthie, <laughs> tell us what what is denouement? <laughs> what does that mean? 
<laughs> well, I was about to say, here comes my regular question in the yeah. podcast of Kate. What does that word mean? <laughs> Here's Kate's word of the day: denouement. Um, is 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 often used uh, in literary criticism, and um, particularly of mystery stories, where is that moment in the narrative where everyone is gathered together and the solution is revealed so it's that Agatha Christie moment where Poirot gathers all the suspects together in one room and talks through the sequence of events and then says and the murderer is this person so yeah. there's a method there's, there's it's not just simply revealing the murderer is you it's actually explaining a process as well so there is that it is revelation of truth sharing that revelation with a wider range of people and explaining it which um my question is so the detect the detective has their epiphany that they realize the truth and then they share the truth and the denouement do we as priests is that our role do we have that role of explaining the truth to others that, that was just Ooh. one of my reflections see I, i've got two thoughts going through my head my mm. first one as you were speaking was to what extent is heaven mm. or some kind of purgatory like a denouement at the end of a murder mystery where we're all gathered together and, Ooh. you know, to some extent, mm. uh, the truth is revealed and our sins are laid before us, um, but everything is mm. going to be made just and fair in the love of God kind of thing. And then you threw mm. in the whole thing about us as priests yeah. doing denouement. And it's like, oh, my mm -hmm. goodness, is church. What does church look like if we're mm. a murder mystery uh, group, or, well, not murder mystery people, but like in terms of doing denouement with people, in terms of right, well, here is the truth. Let's unpack it. Let's 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 um, mm. let's talk it out all together. Um, mm. And I guess you get to a really interesting combination of things with that idea of mm. denouement, because there's a pastoral element because you're dealing with people. Uh, there is a truth element mm. in dealing with uh, the the teachings of christian spirituality and and mm. what the scriptures have to say to us um mm. and there's hoping to lead people to their own epiphanies as well i i, yeah. I, I can't name specific examples but i've definitely I seen in, sh in shows where the detective or i think even in doctor who have looked at their companion and they're kind of encouraging that person along the discovery process or maybe in Sherlock Holmes and that relationship between Watson and Sherlock or in Legally Blonde which mm. is what I've just thought of in the revelation in the courtroom yes where mm. Elle Woods has that epiphany of yeah but you got a perm yeah. and all this stuff and then slowly mm. kind of teases it out and her, her sisters from the sorority mm. they get it before the rest yeah. of the courtroom because yeah. they understand mm. her maintenance and understand why it would happen and she teases out kind mm. of you know forces this person yeah. to unravel yeah, yeah. Their, mm. their plot of how they couldn't have been in shower because isn't it the yeah. uh, correct perm process that you cannot get your hair wet for 48 mm. hours at risk of deactivating pneumonia by glycolate mm. amazing um, and that kind of yeah <laughs> well done and, for um, remembering that oh well mm. I used to have a perm didn't I mm. so you know I do I, I do know my perm maintenance mm. um, and it's yeah, I was. Th I also thought as well when you were talking about it about uh, like those two scenes popped into my head. First, Elwoods because you know mm. what a hero who doesn't want to be like Elwoods, and um, but also just the um, I've not seen it apart from the courtroom scene of a few good men where the you know mm. I want the truth, you oh, can't yeah. handle the truth, and I think there's something about mystery as part of this as well that actually. You know, we reveal some of it, but we can't get it fully. And, you know, if someone I'm supposed to reveal kind of the mystery of the incarnation and the mystery of the Trinity and all this stuff. And do you know what? There's bits of it I don't get. I can't handle the truth because my brain doesn't like I can't compute that. I am not God. I do not understand in that way. But yet we're supposed to tease out and try and understand. I love that at the heart of the Eucharistic prayer, one of the phrases and responses we can have is great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ yeah. is risen, Christ mm. will come again. And that is 
a mystery that we are all yeah. embedded mm. in, but it's something that yeah. we can lean upon as well um, whilst yeah. the unravelling happens within our own lives. Mm. Um, I quite like the suddenly I've got great is the murder mystery of faith um, in terms of Poirot <laughs> <laughs> as priest and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that, well, so here, so, okay, no, here we go. Here's the book. Here's the book idea. Poirot <laughs> as priest, great is the murder mystery of faith. <laughs> Or, or even Poirot in the place of Jesus. Oh, wait with me, wait with me. Because the role that Jesus has with his disciples in, in upholding the mystery of who he is, where he's, he's quite reluctant to, to say, I am the son of God. I am, I am the word made flesh. Instead, he kind of teases it out of those so they, around him. they may him. use the little um, gray cells. They yeah. will use the little grey cells. Um, so it's definitely something, mystery is a really important part of our faith. <laughs> and the realisation and revelation is not something that someone can tell us. It's something that we must experience. And we can be guided towards that realisation, to that moment of epiphany, just as the Magi follow the star um, just as the shepherds follow the instructions of the angels, but it's up to us as individuals to then come to understand what this discovery means and then go on to help others towards that understanding in recognition that we cannot force that understanding. And I, but I do also think there's something about not understanding it all. Mm. So you just made me think, if you're is the priest, then Captain Hastings is the disciples in all of this. <laughs> and, you know, Captain Hastings doesn't get it, no, but trusts Poirot. And yeah. so kind of yeah. does things as part of that. Yeah. And so yeah. I think there's part of that as well, is that yeah. I don't get it all. I get enough, but I don't right. get it all. But I trust the person who offers it. Can I just give a shout out to Miss Marple as Mary, please? Oh, oh carry yes. on. <laughs> or, yes. or we could also say Sherlock Holmes and John Watson, where yeah. um, Sherlock is very bad at, expla- at explaining to Watson what is actually what is happening, actually happening. But Watson trusts him uh, yeah. and, and trusts that that this will lead them to a pro- to a progression of truth. Or the Doctor and whoever the companion is. Um, yeah. generally speaking that relationship is that the doctor understands what's going on and whoever is running alongside them um the human bubbles ha- along <laughs> has to has to trust that the doctor will eventually reveal and there is that kind of that bit of a recurring joke of i'll explain later um and then the explaining doesn't necessarily always happen but it's it's a really interesting dynamic which is present throughout loads of different media actually but also in our faith. And I think in the Christian faith, our our understanding is that we won't truly know everything until we are fully reunited with God. And that's why Death in Paradise mm. is all about Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> because doesn't Christmas stand in for that time when the truth shall be known? Amen. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> it is the, the it, Christmas is a time when we celebrate the word made flesh, and the word is truth, and the truth lives among us. I've loved this. Ali, I lo- this has been so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Really, thank you. Thank you for humouring me. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, yeah. Going on so many different things. So, it's great. We could continue on with this. I hope you've enjoyed our gradual realisation and epiphany um, during the course of this discussion. Um, and as we draw things to a close, I'm feeling like maybe we've learnt a little bit more about the season of epiphany, the season of Christmas by watching Death in Paradise. Um, just a few things that you might like to think about. Firstly, do you have a favourite murder mystery mm. show or book? We'd love to know. Ooh. Maybe we can watch that next. Um, Midsummer. Uh. Oh, and then next, also, um, in your journey of faith, have you had a, a, a moment of sudden realization, an epiphany moment, um, mm. or have you had one of those denouement moments where you feel like someone has explained it to you, or that you've explained it to someone else, um, leading to revelation? Let us know. Um, let us know. And in the meantime, we wish you all a very joyful epiphany. 
Happy Epiphany, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Vicar's Watch Dibley. Thank you to Nat for editing our ramblings. Any opinions expressed are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Church of England or any other organisation with which we are affiliated. If you like our podcast, leave us a review, follow us on social media and share it with your friends. And, as always, bless you for listening. You know, all this talk that we've had in this episode, it's made me realise, it's suddenly occurred to me, I've never had an epiphany. Oh, Oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) I fell for it. (laughs) (laughs) 